Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist life coach, and you've got episode number 33. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Today, we're going to talk all about boundaries, and I can't wait to get into this juicy and important conversation. But before I get into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement. This episode is brought to you by my free course called The Menopause Mood Swing Solution. I offered this class as a live webinar a few months ago, and the feedback was so good that I decided I would make it available to anybody who wants to watch the replay. In this class, I talk all about hormones, mood swings, and what to expect during perimenopause from your moods and your hormones. If you've ever had the thought, this period of my life is like one big, long, never-ending PMS session, then this class is for you. Or if you're approaching the age of perimenopause and you're curious about what to expect, this class is for you. Or if you're feeling like your hormonal mood swings are impacting your quality of life and you're looking for some relief, this class is also going to be useful for you. In the class, I'm going to be answering questions like, why are perimenopause and menopause such an emotionally tumultuous time for a lot of people? How can I tell the difference between feelings that are normal and valid, or when I'm just quote unquote being a hormonal? How can I think about it differently so I might be able to get a little bit of relief? And of course, we'll be looking at all of this through a feminist lens where we explore how our socialization and conditioning affect the way we move through this time in life, especially when it comes to our feelings. To get free and instant access to this class, you can head to michellecaplet.com forward slash mood. That's michellecaplet.com forward slash M-O-O-D. And you can also find the link in the show notes. Again, that's michellecaplet.com forward slash mood. So in today's episode, I want to take a dive into this idea of boundaries. And I know that it's kind of a buzzword on social. We're hearing a lot about boundaries and uh, we're reading books about boundaries and we're realizing the importance of putting boundaries in place to be able to live the lives that we want to live. So I'm going to talk about what boundaries are and how to set and keep them. But first, I want to talk about why perimenopause is a uniquely perfect time to start thinking about this idea if you haven't before. So to kind of zoom out a little and to look at things on a big picture level for a moment, I want to talk about how perimenopause is a rite of passage of sorts. If you've been listening to the podcast and following my work for some time, you've probably heard me talk about how perimenopause is like a second puberty. If you remember your first puberty, it involved a lot of physical changes as you went from being a child to being somebody who cycles and menstruates, and there's a lot of identity shift that has to occur. Now, the way that you might have related to this identity shift in your first puberty is highly individual and of course would be influenced by how you were raised, the culture you grew up in, what you were taught about this time in life, and of course, how your family and community talked about it, if at all. And on a social and cultural level, at least in Western culture, which is the perspective that I'm speaking from, your first puberty meant that you were suddenly more valuable in society. 
As people socialized as women, our puberty and sexual maturation mean two things. Number one, we can get pregnant and make more humans. And number two, our bodies are developing into a state that's sexually attractive to and could hold the male gaze. And both of these things are what make women most highly valuable. At least that's what we're socialized to believe. And again, how someone relates to all of this will be highly individual. And I would venture to say that the same is true for the perimenopausal transition. A person's individual experience will be exactly that, highly individual. But on a societal and cultural level, and again, speaking as somebody who's coming from the perspective of being in Western culture, perimenopause represents another major physical and an identity-based transition. And what I mean by this is that as we transition out of our peak days of reproductive physiology and as our bodies inevitably age and change, we are considered to be less worthy by society because of how our bodies are looking and working. And this is where all of the ideas come from, like I'm getting old or drying up, I'm no longer entitled to feel attractive or sexy, I'm no longer a value, I no longer have anything to offer, people aren't going to take me seriously. And here's the part where I'm going to get to my actual point of saying all of this, which is the way that perimenopause actually differs from our first puberty is that we have decades of life experience and wisdom, and we likely have well-established values by this point in our lives, which is very different than when we were in our preteens with underdeveloped brains and very little social experience or the time or capacity to even consider what we think about these things. And also just to say, if you're listening to my podcast, you're probably also in alignment with self-reflection and feminist values. So I'm guessing that you're not actually interested in participating in and living out this idea that you're no longer a value once your reproductive function and body appearance change. So this is my long-winded way of coming around to this idea that we have an opportunity in perimenopause to look at this transition as a jumping off point for how we want to live the rest of our lives. We have an opportunity to decide that we want to make some changes. We have an opportunity to decide that we want to speak to ourselves differently. We have an opportunity to decide what we want in life exactly, and say no thank you, or maybe even fuck off to anything that isn't going to nurture that vision that we have for the next version of ourselves. And this idea can be a source of great inspiration and open our minds and our imaginations, but also it might mean that we need to put some boundaries in place with people in our lives in order to achieve this vision. And that's what I want to get into today. So, I want to give you a couple of examples of things that my recent coaching clients have decided to put boundaries around to create the exact life they want. Things like being less available to help others with things at the expense of their own needs, having their opinion heard in the boardroom at work, saying no to attending social or family events that they don't actually want to attend, asking for medical accommodation at work because of perimenopausal symptoms, advocating for more time for hobbies and interests and passions and things that matter to them. And I just want to say that being able to get to the place where they can put boundaries in place often starts with this idea that, hmm, I no longer want to spend my time people-pleasing and staying quiet and not taking up too much space or being too emotional or too big or too loud. 
I no longer have to devote most of my time and energy showing up as somebody that society deems as most worthy. And if I have this opportunity to actually contemplate what I want in life, what do I want to create? And what framework do I need to put in place in order to make this happen? For many people, it often comes down to saying no more often and putting their own needs, wants, and desires first instead of after everyone else has been taken care of, which is what we are taught makes us worthy and higher and a good person when we are socialized as women. So I know that all of this might be a little bit abstract at this point. So I want to talk about a specific example to kind of illustrate my point here. So let's start with the example of one of my coaching clients, who, by the way, gave permission for me to tell her story anonymously. She came to me originally because she wanted to work on body image. She was in her mid-40s and had gained about 15 pounds and had also experienced some body fat redistribution. Now, as a clinician, I can tell you that this type of body change can be totally normal and a very common part of the perimenopausal transition. Lots of people experience this, and she knew that. And also, she spent her whole life on crash diets because she grew up in the 80s in a family that was all about dieting and being as thin as possible and really wanted to be done with all of that. She wanted to take perimenopause as an opportunity to embrace her body and see it as valuable no matter what size or shape it was. And she and I did a lot of really deep and amazing and important work to start to unpack and question the thoughts that she was having about her body needing to be a certain size or shape in order to be considered valuable and worthy. And this was not an overnight switch. Challenging and changing these deeply entrenched ideas takes time. And we did get to a good place where she was able to consciously recognize why she was thinking about herself in this way and choose on purpose how she was going to talk to herself in those moments in the future. But there still were some regularly occurring moments when it was especially challenging for her to keep doing this work, and that was at family gatherings. Anytime she would spend time with her family, her body size would inevitably come up. People felt free to comment on her weight and the food choices that she made. People felt entitled to give her unsolicited advice because that was just the culture that had always existed in her family. So we talked about putting some boundaries in place in order to create an environment where she could keep working on this vision that she had of the relationship that she wanted to have with her body. And before I continue with how this story turned out, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about what a boundary is and what it isn't. To offer a definition of what a boundary is, I'd like to define it as a limit that you put in place around your time, your body, your capacity, and your mental health in order to live the life that you want to live. A boundary will often involve setting a limit with yourself or with another person that will guide your behavior and actions in response. A boundary is not something that is meant to manipulate somebody else's behavior, which is what I see as a common and incorrect interpretation of what boundaries actually are. A boundary might sound like this. If this happens, then I will do this other thing. A healthy boundary is not about making somebody else do something else. It's a guideline to dictate your own behavior. 
So to use the example of my coaching client, we talked about boundaries that she could put in place to help her create a supportive environment for her to cultivate the relationship she wanted to have with her body. So to talk about this in detail, I want to talk about her family feeling entitled to make comments about the size of her body and what she wanted to plan ahead of time in terms of how she responded to that. So what her family said to her in the past might sound something like, ooh, that dress is looking a little snug, or how about you skip the bread tonight? It'll just help you slim down, or your husband isn't going to like that you filled out like that. Yeah, someone actually said that to her. So in one of our coaching sessions, we made some plans. We talked about putting some boundaries in place with her family's unsolicited comments on advice, and we made some decisions ahead of time in terms of how she was going to think about this and how she was going to respond. And the boundary that we came up with was, if somebody said something like this to her, her response would be, the size and shape of my body are not up for discussion. If you bring it up again, I will leave. As opposed to, you are not allowed to talk about my body, or please don't talk about my body. The first statement that I said, which was the size and shape of my body are not up for discussion. If you bring it up again, I will leave. This first example allows her to hold all of the power. It was less about what she expected them to do and more about her response. It was about her behaving in a way that was supportive to her goals and her needs. Because here's the thing, other human adults have the autonomy to decide how they want to behave. They get to decide how they want to think and feel and act. And we really can't control other people. We can make a request, but ultimately we can only control what we do in these scenarios. So what this boundary meant for my client was that this left her in total control. Even if her request was not heard or honored, she was still able to take care of herself no matter what. And of course, I don't want to glaze over the part where it can be incredibly difficult to hold those boundaries when we've spent our entire lives being people pleasers and putting everybody else's needs above our own. But I want to offer that those uncomfortable feelings that come up when we hold our boundaries in situations like this, allowing those feelings and sticking to our boundaries is truly the key to creating the exact life that we want. Here are some other examples of boundaries that my amazing coaching clients have put in place in their lives. I'm not willing to accept my debilitating insomnia as just part of my life from now on. If my doctor won't provide a referral for a sleep study, I'll find a new doctor or ask for a second opinion. Another one is, I'm not available to take on the extra task for the PTA. If no one else is able to do it, it will have to wait till next month. And another one is, Sex no longer feels pleasurable for me when we do it that way. I'll need us to try some different ways of pleasuring each other, or I'll need to say no to sex for a while until I can talk to my doctor. Notice that all of those examples ended with an action that would be taken by the person enforcing the boundary, as opposed to hinging on somebody else changing their behavior. So my dear listener, what is on your mind after hearing this episode? What is the vision for your life that you want to create in perimenopause and beyond? And what boundaries will you need to put in place in order to create an environment where you can make that happen? If you're looking for some support in answering these questions for yourself, I have a few spots opening for one-to-one coaching clients starting in June. 
to grab one of those rarely available spots, book your free consultation to learn more. You can find the link in the show notes. That's going to be it for me this week. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you're a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for some support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapler.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.